listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptic movement is in the region. This is episode 306, Do Not Adjust Your Podcast Player. I am your host, Brian Ego, and joining me for the episode are my co-hosts, Andrus Pintier, Annika Harrison and Pontus Bachman. All right, Trips. See ya, Stuck. Hello. Hey, son. Hey, son. What the hell is going on? Who has been <laughs> taking... Is this a hostile or a friendly takeover of the podcast? It, 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 is a, it is a it's a friendly takeover from now, right? But I am ready to bring down the hammer of iron if there's any back talk from any of you. Uh, this is going to be a... It's going to be a tight show. It's going to be a tight recording. Most notably because I've got a beer here and my middle-aged bladder is going to let out soon. So we, we can't have too much like extra time wasted on this podcast recording folks so let, let's keep it nice time is a factor okay yeah thank you for having me back welcome um, back it's, it's about time just before the end of the year so um dear listeners we are we are recording in what i describe as the taint we are right in the middle uh between the the genitals of christmas and the back end of new year and you guys should be getting this right in your ear holes Maybe just as the bells are going off, assuming the podcast gets released on time. So, did you guys have a nice Christmas? Give me your highlights, your lowlights. Um, my highlight was that we are here in Australia. <laughs> my lowlight was that it was a bit cold. <laughs> cold? In Australia? Only 20 degrees here right now. <laughs> ah. Do you call that cold? And my baby's not a baby anymore now. What, what, what does that mean? Yeah, Luna turned one. Luna oh, okay, that's the, the <laughs> nice. official uh, line oh, there. I didn't know. Of course. Yeah. Well, okay. happy birthday, yeah. Luna, and happy birthday, Jesus, as well, while we're at it. Baby Jesus. <laughs> Christmas yeah. baby, wasn't she? How about your highlights and low lights, Pontus? I have no low lights in my life. I, I, I make sure not to. <laughs> so I, I mean, having a great time uh, meeting with a small part of the family, not the extended all, not all the friends and relatives and, and distant uncles, etc. But uh, the the core family, and we've been having a great time. Not too many presents, which is good on the wallet. Just making sure that we got together and, and had some good food. Yeah, getting some proper weight. That's one of the purposes of Christmas, right? Mm. Why would that happen any other way? I mean, yeah, you have to, you have to do that. Yeah. yeah, I I managed to have um, I had two Christmas dinners, so like we <laughs> we we did the same, like a sort of a small family gathering, but like my side of the family in the morning or late morning, early afternoon. So we cooked and we ate heartily, and then we went off to my in laws' place, and I got another meal in the evening. So uh, I'm I'm just packing on <laughs> good work, man. We're, we're on all the just turning and, into hobbits around Christmas, right? Exactly, <laughs> and punishing the liver like a boss. <laughs> do you guys know what turducken is? The no, what? turducken. I, is that I, a German I do. word? It, it, it's things inserted in other things, which I am, um, you know, all in favour of, right? Big fan of, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's tur- turkey, duck, chicken, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's a nice, <laughs> nice combo. <laughs> we had that for Christmas dinner, so it was really good. <laughs> oh, nice! Fantastic! Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, is it like a mash of all the things? 
Well, they start with a small little hamster, and then it grows bigger and bigger, and it's a big kangaroo at the top. No, they actually right. start oh. with a, with a fly. With a <laughs> fly. Proteins. No, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, it was like yeah. the it's like the reverse of the lady that ate the fly, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you first have to convince the the kangaroo to eat the fly, right? Or rather, yes. the hamster eats the fly, and then the rabbit eats the hamster, and then you build up. Okay, right. In enough Christmas festivities, people. By the time people listen to this, they'll be fed up a Christmas chat anyway. What else has been going on then, folks? Yeah, you tell us because you've been away for so long. Well, well, I have. Yeah, uh, I I haven't done anything of of great note, to be honest. Busy doing this, you know, with work and family, and. Occasionally writing articles for the Skeptic magazine, and the the latest one I have written, but isn't out yet, is about my night in Scotland's most haunted hotel. Now, um, you know, spoiler alert, folks, I did survive to tell the tale, but (laughs) this was on, uh, it was my wife's 40th birthday last month and we went to stay in the Drovers Inn. Now Andres, I know you occasionally do tours in Scotland. Mm-hmm. If you've never taken your a tour party to the Drovers, strong recommend. It's a fun place. Whereabouts is it? So it is on the uh, it's on the West Highland Way, which is a sort of a famous hiking walk mm-hmm. In Scotland, it takes you from Glasgow all the way up to Fort William. It's basically yeah. way up at the north point of uh, of Loch Lomond. Mm-hmm. The West Island Way takes you up the east side of Loch Lomond. As you get to the northern point, the Drover's Inn is just on the west side. And it's a fantastic old place. It's been around for like over 300 years. But their, their website is very proud to talk about how haunted the place is. And I had... Some fun discussions with uh, with the staff and some some locals there about some of those things. I did a little bit more delving into into the history of the place. I spent a lot of time look, looking through TripAdvisor reviews for stories of uh, uh, of haunted happenings. And again, spoiler alert: not many, not many at all. Much less than you'd expect. So um, I don't think it's haunted, but I think it's a cool place. Go go visit it if you get the chance, because um, it's uh, it's a fun place to go to. Yeah. So yeah, that's all I've done of any interest in the skeptical world since the last time we spoke. Well, good work, some field work in the in the world of ghosts and stuff. I'm 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 surprised you didn't <laughs> prank them by by staging some sort of supernatural event. They have had a prank um, seance there one time before, like as a, a launch. They did a launch for some kind of product. In, in the pub and, and they, they pranked a whole bundle of journalists when they were doing the seance. <laughs> yeah. so I think you can find that on YouTube. So They've done that been there, done that, apparently, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good. So um, I don't know how many famous dead people might have been there, but um, unfortunately, someone very, very famous and of, uh, well, high acclaim has just died. And that was E.O. Wilson. Do you know who that was? I, I, I can't say I do. Is he related to Owen Wilson? <laughs> not not Owen Wilson. Does he, <laughs> yeah. Is he it was the volleyball Edward, from that movie Ed, with Tom no, Hanks? Nope, nope, no. nope. Edward okay. Osborne Wilson. He's definitely worth mentioning. From a sceptical and scientific point of view, he was so famous for being very outspoken naturalist and a disseminator of science uh, in general he was often called the heir of Darwin. 
he was giving lectures. He he wrote several books, amazing ones of that. I remember when I first got my iPad and I downloaded the first iBook ever. That was E.O. Wilson's series on life. And that was amazing, an amazing piece of work. He, he was also called the Ant-Man because he was specializing in the behavior of ants. And uh, he was the one who brought about something that was called uh, sociobiology. And mm-hmm. he was the, the person introducing that to science. And, uh, well, sometimes he was even called the father of biodiversity. But that would make him God. So I would not <laughs> really subscribe to that. However, his work as a science popularizer and a scientist as well, uh, he was considered a leading expert on the life of ants and uh, the behavior of them. He was he was a really cool guy and he lived up to an, a, a very ripe age of 92 years old. So oh, That's a good run. That is really good. It was a really good run. And uh, he must have been a really nice guy as well based on the interviews that I saw with him. He was an American, but uh, since this is being an European podcast, it still has very much of an, an, an interest in everything that's, that's going on in the world of science around the world. So, uh, yeah, E.O. Wilson will be missed, but his great work will keep on giving. He was actually a fellow of the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry as well, and I believe we will mention that a little bit later on. Ooh. Right? Yes. <laughs> Good call forward there. Well done. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So yeah, that's too bad. But we have good news as well. And that is something of a project 30 years in the making. And finally, it got lift off. And that is the very highly regarded project of um, the James Webb Telescope. Woo! Yeah. It's not very often talked about how the European Space Agency is very much involved in that project. I mean, not the development of the the telescope itself, but how we got up there. Because it was traveling on the top of an Ariane 5 rocket, which is developed by the European Space Agency. And it was launched on finally, (laughs) after having been postponed like a million times, it was finally launched on the 25th of December from French Guyana's spaceport, which is a European spaceport. The first pictures from the final stage, when it got disconnected from the final stage and started floating away, that was like a massive relief to a lot of people who who are are following the development of that project. And I do know for a fact that I'm not alone in saying that we can't wait to see what that telescope will bring science-wise to the world, because it will go much deeper, not only in space, but also in time, into what we know about the, the universe. It will be able to detect things so far away that we will potentially be able to see with it a lot of things that happened right at the beginning of the formation of the of the currently known universe. Very exciting. Yeah. Very exciting. Super exciting. And there's also, it's very, very, the the dimension of it not being, you you can't fix it. You know, it has to work. Everything has to work (laughs) because uh, you can't fix it. It will not be in an orbit around the Earth, but around the sun. So it will be a long way away and you can't just go there and fix anything. 
And of course, it, there was also the risk that it would blow up on the launch pad. So yeah, very positive so far. And uh, we have high hopes for it. And as you said, Anders, they've been waiting. We've been waiting 30 years to see this yeah. happening. Yeah, that was a nice Christmas present though, right? So yeah, exactly, we've to, exactly. We've got to sort of unfold the mirrors and the shade and everything as well, yeah. right? I believe that Richard Saunders was the origami consultant for the project. I'm right? sure he was. I'm sure he <laughs> yeah. was. He was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, with the James Webb telescope helping us look back in time, I think it's appropriate now we move on to our next segment where we look back at this week in sceptical history. Best pronounced in a Sean Connery style, this is Twish. What else could we talk about on this week in skeptical history than uh, St. Sylvester's Day? So, whom among you guys have this title for the day of the, the last day of December, or actually the year, in your respective countries? Do you call it St. Sylvester's Day? Yeah, we call it Sylvester. Yeah, we might pronounce Sylvester correctly, yeah. Presumably this is the Tweety Pie chasing cat, right? That's right. That's the only association I get. So I guess I'm, uh, I need to be enlightened, Andros. Oh, Who was, was saying Sylvester? There was Sil- Sylvester McCoy, one of the doctors, right? But In your country, that, no, there I'm is done. no connection between, uh, between the 31st of December and San Sylvester? Like it's not called Sylvester at all? I don't think so. Uh, it may okay. be in, in some deep religious corners of Sweden they do that, but I haven't heard about it before. So what do you call it then, the, we, the last day of the year? We could just call it New Year's Eve. How boring. We call it Hogmanay in Scotland. Uh, oh, yeah. That's cool. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, what's that, by the way, Hogmanay? Where does that come from? Good question. Don't make me Google it. I don't know. Okay. What has got that out? <laughs> don't make me look bad in front of it. No, Not no, when no. I'm hosting. It's, it stays no. in. God damn it. Okay. I have no idea. <laughs> Very good cultural com- contribution there. Thank you. Well, but St. Sylvester's Day. So who the heck was St. Sylvester? He was one of the, the early popes. Well, calling him a pope is not necessarily right, because back then, the Bishop of Rome was not called the Pope. So that's, I believe it was sometime around the 7th century that they were being referred to for the first time as such. However, Pope Sylvester was a very influential one. He was a Pope, a Bishop of Rome, right at the time when um, Christianity got a real kick from someone who saw the political opportunity in supporting Christianity. Contrary to a commonly held belief, Constantine the Great did not make Christianity the state religion, but he was the first one to issue the Edict of Milan, which helped the Christians get away with their new religion, because uh, before that, there was a lot of atrocities that they had to bear and they had to face. And uh, from then on, it was not the case. And another eight years later, it became the state religion. So this is one of the reasons why Pope Sylvester was such a great figure in uh, the history of Christianity. And in his time, there were three major Christian church buildings built that are still there and are still considered some of the greatest ones. So one of them is St. Peter's Basilica. The other one is uh, St. John's Basilica of the Lateran. 
And another one that is very close to the St. John's, that is Santa Croce, which uh, means the St. Cross. And uh, he was the, f- the first one to really believe that uh, those relics coming around from the Holy Land are real. And it had a lot to do with uh, Constantine the Great's mother, St. Helen. The day of the 31st of December is the actual day of St. Silvestre's death. And it was pushed around a little bit up until the time when Pope uh, Gregory the Thirteenth came up with uh, the calendar reform. And uh, since those times, it's the same day. So the last day of the year and the last day of December happens to be the exact day when Pope Silvester I died. So that's how it became combined, the two of them. And uh, this is why there's a lot of uh, fireworks and all that, because the last day of the year has always been some special time. And, uh, well, the fireworks and the celebrations have been around basically since the 16th century. So the Gregorian calendar's final day is the feast day of Pope St. Sylvester I, which not too many countries recognize, but some of them do, including my own, Hungary, where we simply call it Sylvester. Nice. There you go. So it's coming up. Let's celebrate it in your own ways, guys. <laughs> I'm celebrating it working. I'll be taking my group to Pompeii, the ruins of Pompeii, and then the ruins of uh, Pestum here in southern Italy, where I currently am, and um, then probably having a bit of party. I occasionally burst out singing as well, but don't tell, don't, <laughs> don't tell my group that. They don't know it yet. <laughs> I'm sure they're all listening to the show now and it will come out on the same day so maybe they will be well, they should. tipped off <laughs> exactly they should yeah I'll be very pissed if I see them listening to our show instead of listening to me speaking to them live <laughs> very pissed off alright so for from matters of the Catholic Church and the Papacy over to Pontus Pokes the Pope All right, so we go from one very dead pope to one, well, still alive. I would almost say barely alive, but that's not <laughs> At true. Time he of seems recording, to be in still alive. Shape, but he's still alive. <laughs> but uh, apparently, on some news media, some journalist misspoke earlier this week and said that he was dead and had to correct herself. He is still around. And uh, during Christmas, he expressed the concern about families. He, he issued a letter to, quote, spouses around the world, end quote, where he urged everyone to keep their marriages together, even if the pandemic can be stressful. And, well, that, that part he is right about. It can be stressful with pandemics. We've all learned that the hard way last <laughs> couple of years. Yeah. As usual, despite never being married himself, he, he didn't hesitate to hand out his, quote, unquote, fatherly advice. And isn't it ironic that the guy least likely in the world to know anything about parenthood is called the Holy Father? (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's a big hole in his fathership skills. Yeah, right. But it doesn't stop him. So this is, according to Frankie, what you're supposed to do if your spouse is angry with you. Quote, take him or her by the hand and force a complicit smile. End quote. (laughs) And that, mm. I, I don't know if anything got lost in translation there, but 
That's a strange use of the word complicit. I thought for a moment maybe I didn't know English enough, so I had to look it up. And the, according to dictionary.com, complicit means, quote, choosing to be involved in an illegal or questionable act, <laughs> especially with others, end quote. I'm sure that that fairly describes some marriages, but not all of them, I think. It sounds like something the Joker would say. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he's developed a sense of humor. I don't know. So he went on to compare marriages to, um, quote, a tiny boat, wave-tossed yet sturdy, thanks to the reality of the sacrament across a sometimes stormy sea, end quote. He said to remember that Jesus is always there in the boat as well. Quote, he remains at your side amid the tempest, end quote. Jesus could technically be outside of the boat, standing on the water. <laughs> My thinking as well, exactly. Water and skiing. I, yeah, water <laughs> skiing behind. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that a one-off thing? A one-off thing. Don't you think he could do it again if he wanted to? Yeah, but... Your doubter? He's not the guy who likes to show off, you know. He had to be convinced. <laughs> anyway, yeah. I don't know about you guys, but there's only two people in my marriage, and Jesus isn't one of them. Uh, but then again, <laughs> he, Frankie has never tried marriage himself, so uh, what does he know? At the Angelus speech on St. Peter's Square on Boxing Day, he again was worried about the family or the concept of the family, is very concerned that people more and more are, in his words, quote, giving up the idea of going ahead with children, end quote. And here I think we have the crux of the matter, pun intended. His club is shrinking, at least in Europe. A report published in the Vatican in October showed that the number of Catholics in Europe is down by 292,000 people between... 2018 and 2019 and that's the latest uh, statistics they have currently so there we have it of course i don't think that frankie is a monster in any regard i'm sure he's convinced of the doctrine that a marriage and a family is the best thing for everybody but it's also in his self-interest of course to have catholics generate as many new members as possible and if he was looking for what's best for people, Frankie should realize that it's not always the best thing to do, to stick to a, maybe a toxic marriage or to get tons of kids if you, if you don't want to. It's not for everyone. You can have a very good life without that. After all, it has worked out just fine for him. Yeah, I mean... Very true, yeah. <laughs> going forth and multiplying is is fine if you want to do it. I think what Frankie's not taking into account is those many, many of those children who are being produced aren't joining his club the way that they might have used to be done, you know? So mm. Um, mm. I, I don't think it's going to solve his problems. No. Okay, well, uh, talking of going forth and multiplying, we are now going to move <laughs> on to the news slots, starting with Annika. <laughs> Let's go. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, and I will talk about COVID straws or what they call in German Corona Spaziergänge. Spaziergänge, that's a <laughs> yes. good word. Of course, they just can just smushed it all into one word, of course. Great. Yes, so Corona Spaziergang. What's a Corona Spaziergang? It is a demonstration Walking against COVID measures. 
Nah, that would be even worse. It is it is demos- actually a demonstration against um, COVID measures. And they call it Stroll or Spaziergang in German. Because A, then they don't have to register it as a demonstration. And B, they don't have that many people around anymore. So they don't, they don't want to seem too desperate. And that th- that's why they say, oh, we're only taking a walk. It's not a demonstration, people. Come on. Sounds so, peaceful um, enough, though. It, it, uh, it's, it, does, uh, it could be peaceful, but... but... Does that mean, like, the type of walking that you do determines whether you need a permit for it or not? Like, we're going on a march, <laughs> yeah. permit required. We're going on a stroll, yeah. no permit required. It's yeah. a good way of getting around the system, right? That's yeah, right. But yeah. don't try to get a permit for a silly walk. That's really hard to get. Yeah, exactly. You need to go to the ministry for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you also you don't want to take a walk with these people, with these COVID uh, people, because some of them are right wing, some of them are worried. They call themselves worried citizens, <laughs> and some of them are just against everything, resistance against everything. And what unifies them is that they feel that they have a mutual enemy, and that is um, sometimes politics, sometimes the evil, sometimes like they just feel they have a com- mutual enemy. They usually don't. And the problem is that yeah, you can say like maybe the people that are just worried about everything, they might still be the the people that could be still approached. But what we couldn't criticize them about is that they should really keep their distance from neo Nazis, and the neo Nazis are also part of this group. You can, of course, you can claim, oh, I didn't notice that they are actually part of this movement and are also on these strolls with me. But yeah, like, just open your eyes. They actually are wearing Star of Davids and claim that they are the new Jews because they are, they say they are persecuted as being unvaccinated, which is, of course, rubbish and, and also very anti-Semitic and also completely talks down to the Holocaust and what happens there. All of the people in the movement see science and politics as the enemy, and any change is seen as a broken promise. For example, um, when they say, oh, it's actually not that important to do this and that, or, oh, um, Delta is actually more infectious than better, then people see this as a broken promise. Although it's just like a normal scientific procedure, right? Like the moment you find out something else you just say hey it's actually not that way but that way and that's then we correct it and that that's science the good thing about science is that it doesn't promise anything so it's like yeah there are no promises there are results that can be interpreted as something but there's never a certainty that a, a, a promise of any sort would require right it's just a complete misunderstanding of how science works Yeah, exactly. And that's the actual problem here is that people are very often not, yeah, they don't know anything about science and how science works and also not how politics and democracy work. And that's why they have so many problems understanding what's happening and then feel that they are treated unfairly. Yeah. Yeah. And as a result, they feel the urge to go for a quiet stroll with some Nazis. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. How, how that's always how I feel when I'm treated unfairly. Like I, I just take a walk with Nazis then. Wow. Then yeah. I feel better. <laughs> what what kind of numbers are we talking about here, Annika? How many how many people are involved in these? Is it tens well, or hundreds or thousands? More tens than hundreds. But also if you add everything together, because that's the reason why they call it strolls. If they would still have hundreds and hundreds of thousands, then they would still call it demonstrations and would have to treat it as such. 
so it's it's not that many it's it is a minority but it's i i also think it's like even one is too many <laughs> with these kind of people um mm. but they're not they're not overwhelmingly big mm. and that's also why Bernd Harda, whose interview i i have read to prepare for this news uh, segment he said that the media should give less attention to this group because they make it out to be like a huge group because they give it so much attention but it is a tiny minority of all germans and because they are so vocal and get so much attention people um are even like more afraid to get vaccinated in germany for example what should be done bernd Harder says is seeking out conversations with the less extreme people trying to get, get them uh, to talk about how they feel and what's happening and get people yeah to get vaccinated and pretty much don't give the extremists attention anymore because that's what they want yeah that's right i mean i mean i'm thinking of uh, last uh, week's really right award that went mm. to sergio mattarella <laughs> same thing went through my mind yeah don't make yeah. the uh, error of trying to give false balance to all points of views yeah. because not all points are really valid or yeah. even even interesting if you to be honest yeah it's it's really important to not feed the trolls <laughs> that's right Speaking about feeding, we all know that eating meat is bad, right? So yeah. we're killing the planet by feasting on juicy steaks and uh, we should stop it pronto. Are you saying that specifically Yummy. after I said I had two Christmas dinners? I feel like, I, I feel like you're pointing the finger here. <laughs> I thought I would get you on that one. So, and, and of course, it's all very correct from a certain point of view. We we need to make sure that we don't overexploit the planet, and eating meat is a big part of that. But nothing is never not complicated. I'm actually quite proud of that. That's a triple negative in a sentence. Nothing is <laughs> never not complicated. I'm sticking mm -hmm. to that. <laughs> it's not just the environment we need to think about. We need to think of ourselves as well. So for health reasons... It may be a challenge to replace uh, meat with so-called analogs, as it's called, when you substitute meats for, for other kinds of food. A lot of plant-based uh, substitutes can be defined as ultra-processed foods, UPFs. And that uh, means, of course, that they have a high energy density and tend to be high in sodium, in saturated fat in free sugars, and they are low on uh, dietary fiber. They are also often low on vitamins and minerals that is found in other foods. So the WHO Europe, which is a subdivision of the, the big WHO, has published a, a new fact sheet on their website that summarizes the pros and cons of and what to look out for when when trying to switch over to a more meat-free diet because they don't they're not saying you shouldn't do it but they point out that both producers and consumers often are not aware of the issues involved so in short they recommend the following for their member states the european member states that they should uh, carry out studies to guide industry and consumers and when recommending a shift towards a plant-based diet, make it a priority to make sure that appropriate information is communicated. When comparing meat and dairy substitutes to their animal source equivalents, you should um, analyze it properly from a nutritional point of view. You should uh, develop reformulation targets that not only cover meat and dairy, but also their substitutes. And... Um, develop and improving databases to ensure that there are clear and transparent mechanisms 
to monitor the food supply and the industry as such. So that that's a lot of buzzwords and maybe a long-winded way to say be a little bit careful when going vegan or trying to reduce meat. But of course, that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. We, um, But it's not as easy as you may think. And uh, the catchphrase is, of course, as always, that I think it's a little bit more complicated than that. I love that. <laughs> so true to almost everything. Well, I don't love it, actually. I, I'd like it to be simple, but uh, you have to be aware that most things are not. Yeah, it would be so nice if it would be just simple, you know. Yeah, but I do appreciate and I do like the fact that things are not very simple. That makes a lot of things interesting. Mm. I mean, that's true. Simple things are rarely very interesting. I mean, I could name a couple, <laughs> but not necessarily here and now. But I wouldn't say that about the question of whether there is life outside of the Earth, right? Uh, somewhere in the universe. Do you remember those very happy times when most of skeptical activism was about debunking UFO sightings and all that? Oh, the good old days. <laughs> good those old were the days. days. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I do think, and apparently I'm not alone because LifeScience.com did a very nice compilation about that, that 2021 was a year where this topic of aliens and the question of whether we are alone in the universe really came up very often. So and it, yeah. it, it has been approached from many different angles. One of the, the biggest hit was definitely the one when the Pentagon uh, released 144 UFO encounters. By UFO, I mean unidentified flying object. And they use a different expression now. It's not unidentified flying object, but unidentified aerial phenomena. So it's not UFOs, but UAPs as of late. Doesn't have the same ring to it, I think. It Maybe does. old fashioned. It, 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 does. it doesn't have the same ring to it because UFOs has just become synonymous with aliens. So I, I applaud right. their change of terminology, but Agreed. I don't think it's going to have the desired effect. Right? You see, UAP, <laughs> yeah. the, the same group of people who are on about aliens are going to go, yes, yeah, aliens. Yeah. Yeah, but <laughs> it, it, it definitely didn't necessarily meet the expectations that report because they concluded and confirmed that that and i quote most of the uap reported probably do represent physical objects so that's boring <laughs> like it's, 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 what are we talking about but this is probably the right answer from a skeptical point of view right but there, there have been many other very important scientific discoveries and there have been papers really Least that are talking about very interesting points. And one of them is how black holes might be used by aliens because of the amount, the huge amount of energy that they could release. And if an alien civilization is capable of harvesting the energy, that brings them great advantages over others. And they might be capable of doing things that are completely unimaginable for us. So black holes are, for, for that reason, they are in the middle of that uh, conversation as well. But there is another segment of the science that deals with that. And um, that is how we should probably divorce the idea of trying to find similar words to ours and thinking that uh, it has to be something very, very similar to where we live 
a lot of people are now talking about how it might be completely different. And this is one of the reasons why one of uh, Saturn's moon is absolutely fascinating because there have been lots of research going on and they detected a lot of methane coming out from Enceladus, the sixth largest moon of Saturn. And uh, the Cassini, do you remember the, the Cassini mission that, that oh, went yes. to Saturn? Oh, yeah. That mm. was a Beautiful big pictures. The other, the other one was Galileo that went around Jupiter, and that brought pictures to, back from the, the moon Europa, which is another candidate for hosting life because of the vast amount of water that is on and below the surface because the, the surface is basically water ice and um, do you remember the other thing that Avi Loeb the Harvard astrophysicist uh, started promoting and he came up with a with a book Exoterrestrial the first sign of intelligent life beyond earth and that was about something that a lot of people called Omuamua do you remember that the cigar shaped Omuamua yeah the cigar shaped uh, from outside the solar system right it's from outside the solar system and he argued that that is one of the the first sign of something that is absolutely sure that as alien technology and he got criticized and from many skeptics that we know, he has been criticized uh, immensely for, the, for that. I idea. think we brought it up as well. So these skeptics criticized him. Yeah, it was not for the idea, <laughs> but the skeptics. way he was so certain That's right. that it, it could not be of natural origin, that thing. The, this list is pretty good. This was basically the fifth on the list of, uh, of LifeScience.com. And uh, this, is, this is a very cool one, I think, because it shows you how science... It has to be very rigorous. And when you come up with an idea, you shouldn't just act like a runaway train and go completely sideways with your own idea as long as there is an absolute lack of any evidence to support your ideas. There was another piece in Nature, a study that was published, and they claim that there are so many known star systems, nearby star systems, nearby by nearby we mean to the solar system, which means around thousand light years from the Earth, or a hundred uh, a couple of hundred light years, that they could possibly watch us grow up as a civilization. And uh, there are more than seventeen hundred of those places where alien civilizations could potentially exist. So this brings up a question of uh, how many civilizations might be out there. And um, yeah, there are a couple of uh, interesting ideas regarding how to communicate with uh, aliens and uh, how we can deceive our own selves. Do you remember the thing when... It was not in 2021, but it came up again in 2021 when in Proxima Centauri, they found a very interesting signal. Do you remember that? Mm Mm-hmm. No. So it was a radio I wave think I signal. Do. Something's ringing a bell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a, a very interesting radio wave signal, and they identified it as nothing like the usual ones that they often come across. Well, it turned out that it was actually a malfunctioning computer and something of a cellular device that uh, produced a signal that was detected by the telescope. So. This is how we can, we have to apply our skepticism. And the last point, the ninth point of lifescience.com is how alien abductions 
could be because of lucid dreaming. Do you know what lucid dreaming is? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're partially aware. Do you do you do much of lucid dreaming? I, I remember doing it very, when I was very little, when I was small. I, I, I dreamt about lines coming through the walls of my bedroom. Very, very mm-hmm. real, it felt to me. Mm-hmm. I think I did it like three times or so, and, and it was really cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. I yeah, didn't enjoy my encounter with the lines. I enjoyed mine because I noticed that I was dreaming, so I was like, I'm oh. in a dream, so why don't I just fly now? And then I just flew away, so wow. it was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever experienced that, but I would l- really love to. And I've been looking for ways to trigger that somehow. <laughs> Actually, Richard Wiseman and his group uh, did a very interesting piece of research on that as well. And uh, they were researching the science of sleep for a long time. He wrote a book on that as well. But is there anything that he hasn't written a book on? For, if, <laughs> yeah. if you want to be honest i mean connected to to psychology and parapsychology so lucid dreaming researchers uh, from russia claim that uh, lucid dreaming might be responsible for a lot of weird things including alien abduction stories and the other thing that has a connection to that is sleep paralysis and uh, a lot of people experience sleep paralysis, but that is a, an absolutely weird sensation when you can't move, but you are fully awake and your brain is making up shit to 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 explain, yeah, to account for what's happening to it, and uh, because that's how our brain brains work. So I do like this list of things, and I do uh, like, because I came to uh, skepticism through being an avid UFO believer, and uh, I love these compilations of things that show you how, if you apply a little bit of skepticism, then you might go to places where interesting discoveries can be made, instead of just believing weird shit. Well, I'm glad it brought you towards scepticism, Andras. And talking of that, it looks like we've got somebody who has achieved peak scepticism. Annika. Yes, because Natalie Grams, or Natalie Grams Nobman, is uh, now a newly appointed CSI fellow. Woohoo! Nice! Really cool, isn't it? (laughs) Congratulations! Yeah. She has been uh, newly elected as a fellow for CSI. CSI, of course, is not the criminal investigation uh, thing, (laughs) but it stands (laughs) for the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry. You can only receive this fellowship if you did an outstanding contribution to the communication of science or to critical thinking, or if you contributed something significant to the skeptical movement. And I would say Natalie Gramsnobman did both. <laughs> she has, really. Yeah. 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 Because with her work about homeopathy. And speaking about her work with homeopathy, her book, Was wirklich wirkt, Kompass durch die Welt der sanften Medizin, or in English, What Really Works, <laughs> A Compass Through the World of Gentle Medicine, right. will be out improved in an improved version in february so stay tuned for that <laughs> that's great maybe we should have her back on the show again she she has I appeared think it's... Uh, i'm looking it up now on our website and i can see that we had her on show 42 and on 100 as well so i think it's high time <laughs> it's high time it is welcome yes. back natalie if you're listening we want you back yeah, especially now you're extra celebrity yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, so moving from Germany across to Scotland. So for my news item, I thought I would try and gather together something about pseudoscience in Scotland in the year 2021 as we get to the end of the year. Mm -hmm. So I put out the feelers on the Glasgow Skeptics Facebook page and Twitter and asked our followers, like, what's the, the worst example of of pseudoscience uh, or scams or whatever in, in 2021? I've got to say, folks, that the responses I got were disappointingly uniform. There's not much to um, separate Scotland out from the rest of the world, unfortunately. Most of the most of the responses I got were along the lines of COVID denialism and conspiracy theories and transphobia, which which seems to both of which seem to be annoyingly rife. The only thing that Scotland's got to offer in a unique way is conspiracy theories around Scottish politics and Scottish independence. So one person put in a link to a a Twitter post which was essentially a, a pictorial compilation of some of the year's most crazy conspiracies. So here's some of them, right? Glasgow City Council are a front for organised crime. BBC weather map makes Scotland look small. Secret oil. (laughs) Russian interference with the independence referendum. Ruth Davidson stole your postal vote. Patrick Harvey is sectarian because his cat is orange. (laughs) Nicola Sturgeon's secret haircuts. Nicola Sturgeon, <laughs> secret lesbian. Ooh, um, ooh that got your attention. <laughs> yeah, uh, apparently something about uh, a sort of a, a lesbian hideaway in the town of Bridge of Allen for Nicola Sturgeon. But the last one on the list, which kind of grabbed my attention, was this one. The British state killed Willie McRae. Now, my sceptical friends, have you ever heard of Willie McRae? I can't say that no. I have. Well, neither had I, right? Okay. okay. <laughs> but I have now. But f- first up, again, my non-UK friends. Why should nobody in the UK ever call themselves Willie? Tell me why. Do you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it, it but, sounds a bit like something. <laughs> by the immature giggling, it appears like you know the answer. Yeah, so for for my European friends who are unanointed, the word Willie is... You know, a shortening of the name William, but it also means, in a sort of a comedic, childish way, the word penis. So, why anybody, especially in Scotland, would call themselves Willie is is a mystery unto itself. However, Willie McRae was uh, a Scottish lawyer, uh, an orator, a naval officer, politician, and an anti-nuclear campaigner. Uh, he served in the Second World War in the British Army and then the Royal Indian Navy. And uh, he supported the Indian independence movement. And for much of his life, he was active in the Scottish National Party. He is remembered for his mysterious mysterious death in 1985. So 36 years on. And I think it's particularly because the, the sort of thorny topic of Scottish independence is still very much in the news. The conspiracy theories around it uh, and around, should we say, perceived attempts by the British government to suppress attempts at Scottish independence. This one is still causing questions to be asked. So his mysterious death involves his car 
crashing in a remote part of the Scottish Highlands. So he left Glasgow on the 5th of April 1985 to travel up to his cottage in Wester Ross. That's Wester Ross, not Wester Ross from Game of Thrones. Ah, good. Um, I could clarify that. I was thank confused. You, yeah. It's it's a region Didn't up north west of Scotland. Anyway. Okay, sorry, <laughs> but but he never made it there, right? On the morning of the sixth of April, his car was spotted about ninety feet from the road by some tourists. Cray was in the car and still breathing, but unresponsive and showing possible signs of brain damage. So initially, it was assumed to have been a car accident. He's, you know, run off the road for whatever reason. However. Apparently about six hours after being in the hospital, when a nurse was cleaning him, she noticed an entry wound above the right ear. And uh, after an x-ray was taken, it was confirmed that there was a bullet in his brain. So now we go from a traffic accident initially to either A, murder, or B, suicide. So what do you guys suspect? What, what do the conspiracy theorists think? Obviously, murder. Murder. Could you please say murder in a more Scottish accent, please? Could you say murder? Murder. Murder. Very good. Murder. Very good. And, oh, call back as well, Andres. Your pronunciation of Alison Balfour a few weeks ago was pretty much spot on. Just try and say it faster, though, and more aggressively, and you'll get there better. Okay. I think it was Scott <laughs> Thank on. You. Thank you. Yeah. Scott on. So, okay. um, in defence of the conspiracy theorists, there's a lot of apparently strange evidence around the case, particularly around the way that the police handled things. However, in such cases, I think it is appropriate to consider Hanlon's razor. Do you guys know what Hanlon's razor is? Yeah. You do. Don't don't attribute to malice that which can be uh, explained properly by stupidity or something like that. <laughs> exactly, yeah. You're, you're pretty much spot on, Andrew. So I'm going to give you 10 sceptic points for that. Well done. Thank right, you. So, Thank you. you know, <laughs> stupidity or incompetence you know, can explain a lot, right? And in addition, let's remember that initially there was no suspicion of any foul play whatsoever. It was assumed it was just a road traffic accident, right? So we can perhaps give the, the police... A bit of a pass in this. It was, however, ruled at the time by the authorities that uh, the the reasons for his death were undetermined. Many aspects of the investigation remain disputed, some claiming the distance from McRae's car at which the gun was found, um, the lack of fingerprints on the gun make it more suspicious as well. McRae was not wearing gloves at the time. However... In addition to that, at the time of his death, McCray had been working to counter plans to dump nuclear waste from the Dunray nuclear power development site into the sea. So he was, you know, making himself un- uh, very unpopular with the uh, Atomic Agency in the UK. He was an influential member of the Scottish National Party and a strong advocate for independence, which clearly would have made him popular, unpopular, sorry, in Westminster. There were also some allegations that he was connected with some more extremist Scottish independence groups who apparently dabbled with some terrorist activity. And as such, he was being monitored by British services. There were also rumours, 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 
that he'd been working on a dossier <laughs> containing evidence of a high-powered paedophile ring which implicated a number of politicians and other people of notable power. Now, that does all sound a little bit Pizzagate, right? But it's not entirely out with the realms of possibility. Now, I did not go down the rabbit hole on this one, folks. I just toyed with the rim a little bit. Um, if I get some more spare time, I might delve deeper. But but it's just this sort of thing that spawned the, the countless theories, rumours, speculation, muddied facts and general confusion. So it's it's hard to tease out the actual facts there. What we do know, however, is that the gun itself is believed to have belonged to McCray. That was confirmed by his brother. He was known for having bouts of depression. He was known for being a heavy drinker. He had already been found guilty of drink driving once, with a second case pending. If he had indeed simply just veered off the road due to a combination of alcohol and perhaps tiredness, then it's not out with the realms of possibility that he may have tragically taken his own life. So the fact is, though, that the conspiracy theories still remain super strong to this day and are no doubt fueled by the strong feelings around Scottish independence. So this is a 36-year-old news story that is still hitting the headlines here in Scotland. Wow. Yeah. Never goes away, does it? No. No. What What is the latest on the Scottish independence? Uh, uh, no, no exciting news to report. there's nothing to say like you know the the SNP are obviously still pushing pushing for another mandate for another referendum but there's no sign that we're any closer to that happening so in the meantime we just have to deal with you know the the political the standard political back and forward that goes on and of course it's complicated by Brexit and it's complicated by COVID. So there's a lot of other things that are furrowing the brows of the powers that be in Scotland at the moment. Probably Nicola Sturgeon wor- worrying about her sexuality as well, which is a strange one. She seems to get <laughs> she seems to get a lot of um, sort of personality abuse from her political opponents rather than her policies, which is yeah. uh, not surprising, but. Uh, you know, unfortunate. Very sad that it comes to that. It's really interesting to, to that you said that there are lots of uncertainties, and it's an especially strong time for those who are promoting conspiracy theories, because the uncertainties are the ones that leave behind such vast spaces that can be filled up with all the weird shit. So whatever's left because of the uncertainty, you just lots of blank spaces and you just fill it up with whatever you feel like. Exactly, exactly. Do you know what? I went out for a jog earlier on today and I listened to, there's a podcast called The Assassination Podcast uh, who did a, a two-parter on this. Now, you know, the, the title of the podcast, you know, made me think that the author and narrator of that podcast had clearly already made his mind up about what had happened. And some of the assumptions that he was jumping to were entirely without merit. And it was quite annoying because he kept using, you know, if we apply some skepticism to this, then we assume X. Oh, and, yeah. and, and he was he was making... 
yeah, all yeah. of the wrong assumptions, in my opinion, deliberately, you know, not paying attention to some of the obvious facts that we have in those mitigating circumstances. But hey, you know, it would have been a boring podcast if he just said the authorities are right. But hey, talking about being right or being wrong, <laughs> let's move on. Pontus, <laughs> tell us who's been really wrong this week. All right. DNP, or 2,4-dinitrophenyl, is an organic compound and industrial chemical that used to be widely used in explosive mixtures of different kinds. Mm -hmm. In dye factories, it was used also to make uh, sulfur black dye for cotton fabrics and other cloths. And it has also been used as a pesticide or a herbicide. Since it's not only highly explosive but also very toxic, it had been it has been phased out at least from Europe and the US, I believe. If you ingest it, even in small doses, it can cause nausea, vomiting, restlessness, flushed skin, sweating, dizziness, headaches, rapid breathing, and uh, irregular heartbeat. So it's nothing to play around with. There is no antidote or remedy against DNP, and it has been compared to cyanide when it comes to toxicity. So, of course, people sell it on the dark web as a diet pill. It is also promoted for bodybuilders who want to get rid of skin fat. I think you'll get rid of a little bit more than that, but that's what they sell it for. In the like UK, all of yourself. <laughs> right, all of yourself. In the UK alone... There are 33 reported deaths from DNP since 2002. On 23rd of December, Jack Finney from Cheshire was sentenced to 28 months in prison for selling DNP online. The outcome of the case comes as the UK Home Office last week launched a consultation on proposed amendments of control measures for sales of explosive precursors and poisons under the Poison Act of 1972. And this is all the whole initiative is supported by the FSA or Food Standards Agency. So you can take advice from this podcast in this case. There are no easy diet miracle cures to be found on the dark web. Or in general, I guess. Losing weight is hard work, unfortunately. And we all feel it after Christmas holidays. And before you try to do this by buying strange pills on the internet, please consult a real doctor. If you see something online that seems too good to be true, it's almost certainly exactly that. Too good to be true. So... For selling the explosive, toxic, industrial chemical DNP to unsuspecting people who just want to lose a bit of weight, Jack Finney gets today's prize for being really wrong. Well deserved. For sure. <laughs> I mean, I suppose if you're going to puke and shit, you know, <laughs> technically you might, you know, that, that does make you lose weight. I, I, I mean, if you die as well... Well, decomposing is probably not decomposing. Yeah, is you can a, see all yeah. your bones. Perfect. Really takes the meat off the bones, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> right. So, yeah. but please be careful what you of what you see on the dark web and even on the regular internet. There's lots of people out there trying to scam you off your money, and not very often, as I said, it's by promising things that are too good to be true. 
Yeah, for sure. Most of these things just make your wallet thinner, not actually you. So that is correct. That always okay. works. So we're running out of time, folks. But before we say goodbye, we're going to go to a quote. Over to you, Annika. Yes, and um, I tried to find something for the new year, but there were so many esoteric quotes <laughs> about new beginnings and stuff that I decided to quote German TV personality, science communicator, author, and physicist Ranga Yogeshwar, born 1959. And he said, People think that science is like the fire brigade. If there's a raging fire, people are happy the firefighters exist. But there are also people that say, if nothing is on fire, what do we need the fire brigade for? Mm-hmm. And I, f- I found that to be very good uh, in regards, for example, with uh, COVID uh, Spaziergänger. <laughs> because they are like, uh, when something's burning, they then they're actually happy for medicine and science. But if they feel safe, then they are like, what do we need that for? Yeah. Oh, it's the enemy. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've sure. seen that, for instance, when it comes to vaccinations against measles. If yeah. people don't see measles a lot because everybody's vaccinated and say, why should we vaccinate against measles? There's nothing wrong with measles. We never, I've never seen any harm from measles. So yeah. that's because everybody else was vaccinated. Please keep on vaccinating. Exactly. And look, when firefighters aren't fighting fire, a lot of them spend time educating people about fire safety. So in the same yeah. way that we have That's science right. communicators, you know, yeah. that is a worth in itself if you're not actually doing the science. That's right. Exactly. And don't forget about those sexy almanacs that they sometimes produce as well. <laughs> is that a thing? <laughs> is that just a Swedish thing or is it something you recognize? I think it's something I recognize. <laughs> I think that's universal. Yeah. Probably. Are we yeah. talking about sexy fireman calendars here? That's yes. right. Oh, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do I want to see right. that? Well, that's the opposite of putting out fires, actually. <laughs> and if you'd like and to with have. that wonderful note. <laughs> if you'd like to have a sexy ESP calendar, you're going to have to up your Patreon <laughs> donations, folks. I don't know how many thousands a week we need for that to happen. Plus, there's only four of us here as well. So it'd have to be, you know, like I'll take January, February, March, you know. And if you haven't lost your breakfast by that point, you can move on to the rest of them. Uh, I thought we were talking about diet pills here, <laughs> I think there's some. Some things that people would be paying us for not doing. So, yeah. <laughs> Okay. And on that bombshell, leaving you with a horrific mental picture, um, I think it's time to say goodbye. So best wishes all our dear listeners. It's been a blast in 2021. Let's hope 2022 is going to be better. Get it right up, yeah. Cheers. Hello. Peace, lad. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. 
All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Frob and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu, and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. Yeah, go ahead. You're listening to the. Oh, motherfucker. Oh, you, <laughs> Sorry. Don't ruin my flow, man. All You're right? listening to the motherfucker. <laughs> Fuck me, we've not even started yet and we've got, a, we've got an outtake. Right, okay. Do you um, say raping oh. raping articles? No, I mean, I, I've, I've been accused of worse with uh, with my writing. No, but I'm pretty sure I said writing. Um, oh, if I did okay. say something else. The outcome of the case comes as the UK office home of... Sorry, I'll say that again. <laughs> the outcome, <clears throat> without shouting... Third time, lucky. Of controlled measures for sales of explosive... Explosive... Uh, uh, <clears throat> explosive! <laughs> <laughs> the sexy Brian Ego calendar would definitely... Yeah, so that we on. keep... So that we keep not doing that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Tune in music. Great! Very good job. <laughs>